0: Good morning, Community of Grace. It's good to be with you here today. I also want to greet anybody who's watching our live stream today. May the Lord's presence truly be with you as you follow along with our service here today at Community of Grace. Well, friends, uh, we've just started a new sermon series, and I asked some questions last week, and I want to ask you a question this week. How many of you have ever had to buy a used car? Raise your hand. Yep, just about everybody. I'm proud to say that I have never owned anything but a used car in my life. And if, uh, if I have my way, that's the trend that will continue. I prefer buying cars that have a little bit of miles on them and a lot lower money invested into them to have to pay for them, right? So I've been doing that most of my life. But this past summer, actually a, a full year ago, we had to go and purchase a cheap used car. We had an inexpensive used car for my oldest son because he needed some travel back and forth from his college. And uh, we wanted something that was reliable, uh, but something that was inexpensive. We had a budget of about $2,500 to $3,000 we thought we could spend on this car. So we did some shopping. Started looking online, looking through pictures, looking through dealerships and seeing what they had. And we saw a car. We looked at it and went, wow, that one looks looks beautiful. Got some pictures of it on the inside. And it was a little older vehicle, about a 2003, but didn't have terrible high mileage on it, about 150,000 miles. And we know cars can go for a really long time these days. So I thought, wow, this looks like a real bargain. So we went out to the lot, my wife and I, and, and got into the car. And once you got into it, you were like, oh, okay, it's it's been well-loved. Um, but uh, So uh, we, I got in there and drove it around a little bit. But it seemed to be basically solid, a pretty solid car. And the guy who was selling it wanted $2,800 for it. And I said, alright, that seems like a fair price. It was only worth about 25 but I figured it's been cleaned up. He's taken pretty good care of it. We'll do it. $2,800. No problem. Picked it up, drove it off the lot, drove it home. The next day, my son was driving it, and the lights started coming on. The check engine light, a brake light came on. A couple other things were going wrong. It was st- sounding really weird when the air conditioning was running. We're like, oh, my. So we brought it into our local shop the tr- garage that we trusted down in Sioux City and brought it in there and checked it out and said hey you know just just give us the the bad news in a really good way right you know just let us know that it's not going to be too terrible and 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 don't don't do anything until you talk with us first so we got back and got the phone call from the garage he said hey you know what this is really a pretty solid car You're going to to be happy with this. It's going to be a solid car. It's going to run a long time for you. We had just a few things that we needed to fix up on it, but it should be good to go. I went, whew, that's great. How much? Well, $500 worth. OK. All right, well, we'll we'll live live with that. So so now it's a a $3,200 car, or $3,400 car, or $3,300? I'm really bad at math, (laughs) OK? Something like that. OK, so like 30, well, more than (laughs) $3,000. So, so we uh, we, we went and, and picked it up, and uh, and while we were picking it up, then the the guy who was there said, "Hey, you know what? Um, you may have noticed though, but the, the tires on this car they're they're getting pretty bald." And so we took a look at them, and we're like, "Oh no, these are terrible tires." I'm expecting my son to drive all the way across town and all the way across the state of Iowa on this. I don't think so. So let's let's get an inexpensive set of tires. Is there such a thing? <laughs> Not really. No. So four hundred dollars later. We've got a set of tires on it. So we've now put $900 into this inexpensive car. And now our $2,500 car that we bought for $2,800 has now spent $3,700 on it. I got the math right that time, right? $3,700. This is the way it works, because you know what? You can see what it looks like on the outside when you look at a used car. But you never really know what's going on deep inside until you take it out and drive it for a little bit. We just started this sermon series called Restoration Project, and we've been using this metaphor of cars and and the restoration projects that people do on their cars. And you know, when you see a car up close or from from a distance and it's all polished up and looking really good, just like we do on Sunday mornings, sometimes there's a lot more going on under the hood, isn't there? There's some places in our lives that need restoration, that need healing, and that's exactly what Jesus comes to do. We're looking at some stories right after the resurrection of Jesus where he talks to various disciples about places in their lives that they need to be restored. And last week we started off this journey by learning about Thomas, doubting Thomas, and how Jesus miraculously restored Thomas' faith. Thomas was a doubter for sure, but when Jesus appeared before him and told him, Thomas, put your hands in the nail scars on my hand. Put your hand in my side. It's really me. And in that moment, Thomas's faith was restored. Faith is that engine that keeps the car going. It's what you need to go forward in this life. It's that starting place. If the engine's no good, it needs to be torn down all the way to the bottom and rebuilt back up again. Well, Jesus does just that kind of work in our lives. And that's where we started this journey. But today, we're going to look at another character, another very famous character, one of the disciples whom Jesus was uh, was proud to walk with and lead and guide. And his name was Peter. And you've already heard a little bit about Peter, but I just want to introduce this story. I'm not going to read the whole passage because you've already heard most of the passage here today. But I want to set it up for us as we learn a little bit about Peter from chapter 21 of the Gospel According to John. If you've got a Bible, great, you can open up to that. We're going to be hanging around in this for a little bit this morning. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles that are available. We have our ushers who are here to, to bring a Bible along with you. Please feel free to grab one of those. Use one today. And uh, and if for any reason you don't have a Bible at home, you do now, okay? You take that one home. Let that be a gift to you from Community of Grace. We want everybody to know that they're loved and that they can have God's Word in their hands. So, uh, so take one of those. Open up to The Gospel According to John, chapter 21. And uh, I'm going to begin reading right at the beginning of it, and then we'll go from there. Chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way: Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said. We'll go out with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now you know where the story goes from here, right? Jesus is on the shore. He sees them. He calls out to them and says, Hey, friends, how's the fishing going? It's going lousy. Thank you very much. Jesus says, Let down your net on the other side of the boat. And miraculously, a huge catch of fish comes in. And they're all excited because they know who it is that's on the shore. It's got to be Jesus. And Peter is so excited, he leaps out of the boat and makes his way to shore to see Jesus. But that's kind of not the feeling at the beginning of that story, is it? I mean, why is Peter going fishing? Well, that's because that's what Peter was before he met Jesus. Jesus. As a matter of fact, he had a different name. He was Simon. Simon is his real name, by the way. Peter is just kind of his nickname. Anybody here have nicknames growing up that somebody called you something? Shorty, whatever, whatever it might have been. I don't know. You know. I didn't have one. I'm kind of grateful for that. But, uh, but I did give a nickname to my car. did anybody give a nickname to their car? Come on, a few of you did. Yes, yes. I learned to give a nickname to my car, that 73 Chevy Nova that I talked to you about the other day. I learned it from a friend of mine who drove me to school before that. He had this great Honda Civic, and, and he named it Trish. And I said, well, what does, what does Trish stand for? It says, oh, totally red, invincible, sporty Honda. <laughs> Trish. So well, that's kind of fun. So I got my seventy three Nova and I nicknamed my nova Kate. Why, Kate? Well, because fourteen years old is how old Kate was when I got her, and fourteen in Spanish is catorce, and the first three letters of that are cat, and so somehow I came up with Kate. <laughs> I called her Kate, that was my car It was my nickname for my car, but that was. Simon's nickname given to him by Jesus. Before Jesus had met him, he was Simon, Simon, son of John. He's a fisherman. He's out doing what he knows best. He owns a fishing business. He's obviously fairly successful at it. He's got other employees, other people working with him. It was a common job to have there around the Sea of Galilee, and a number of other of Jesus' disciples were also in this same line of business. They were fishermen, and that's what Simon was until Jesus met him. He met him while he was fishing and looked at Peter as he looked at many others and said, hey, Simon, son of John, you're a fisherman, but I want you to fish for men now, so come follow me. And they dropped their nets right away, Simon amongst the first of them to follow after Jesus. And that's where the story gets going, because you see, Jesus decides to give a nickname to Simon of Peter. Well, what does Peter mean? Well, Peter is a Greek word. It means rock. It comes from the word Petra, rock. It's like Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you rock. <laughs> but it means a lot of different things. You can put a lot of different things into that, can't you, if you call somebody a rock? I mean, it might mean that they're kind of stubborn. It might mean they're kind of tough or they're always on the roll, you know, a rolling rock kind of thing. You never quite know but it stands for stability and firmness. But but it's also a lot of other things because we know about Peter's personality. We learn about Peter's personality. And if you were to call Peter the rock, it, that really doesn't match up too much with what we see in Peter's life. Unless you want to say that he's kind of got rocks in his head. <laughs> because, because Peter's a complicated character. Jesus sees something in Peter, but Peter doesn't really realize it himself. So Peter kind of stumbles his life and stumbles along in this relationship with Jesus. And and he's proud and he's rash and he's kind of an all-or-nothing kind of guy. But he he was one of the first ones who, when Jesus was asking of his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he got a bunch of different answers back and then he looked at his disciples again and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke right up. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, God bless you, Simon, son of John, Peter, because this has been revealed to you, not by men, but by God's Holy Spirit himself. Way to go, Peter. And then Jesus went on to say, and by the way, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to lay my life down because that's what the Christ has come to do. That's what the Messiah comes to do, to lay his life down and die a brutal, horrible death and then be resurrected three days later. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, can I talk to you for a minute, Jesus? Um, Hey, Jesus, don't ever say that again. (laughs) No way, man. You can't go around telling people that you are going to die. That's right out And Jesus lovingly looks at Peter and says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. What a turnaround. From Peter, the guy who had just announced who Jesus was as the Christ, to Jesus rebuking him and saying, you are not listening to what God has to say. You have got the wrong thing in mind here, Peter. And you need to be silent. Tough. But this is the kind of relationship that Jesus had with Peter. Back and forth they would go. They're out on the lake and and Peter's in the boat and and the storm is rising and raging and and the disciples are getting concerned and they look out on the lake and there's Jesus walking on the water. And he comes out towards them. He says, peace, be still. And he looks into the boat and there's Peter and Peter says, you know what, Jesus? I want to walk on water too. If you call out to me, I will walk on the water with you. Brave, bold Peter. Jesus says, Come on. Peter steps out on the boat. He walks a few steps on the water. And then, by his name's sake, he drops like a rock. <laughs> Jesus has to reach down, pull him up out of the water, and say, Peter, why did you doubt? Why do you have so little faith? Now, Peter was at least bold enough to get out of the boat, right? But he looks at him and just says, you you don't have all the faith that you need. Peter, I I want you to keep growing. So Peter is living a life this way. This is just kind of the way that Peter is. There's, There's Peter's way and there's everybody else's way. This is Peter's way. It's the way he knows how to be who he is. And Jesus sees him becoming something more. But then it comes to the most difficult time in Jesus's life and the most difficult time of his relationship with Peter. It's Monday Thursday, the Thursday before Jesus would be crucified. And he's with all of his disciples together, and they're enjoying the Passover meal together. And before they're having that meal, Jesus comes to them, and he, he kneels down before them, strips down to, to a servant's clothing, and gets down and says, I need to wash your feet, because this is how you're supposed to love one another. I want you to do this the way that I do love each other. And Peter looks at him and says, no way. You're not washing my feet Why would Peter say something like that? Because Peter's a leader. And leaders don't bend down and wash other people's feet. Leaders are the boss. That's what Peter was. He wants to be the boss. He says, I can't have the boss kneeling down and washing my feet. No way, Jesus, you're not doing this. Jesus looks up at Peter and says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And I have no part of you. And now Peter Switches gears again. Okay, all right, all right. If that's the way it's going to be, then you got to wash all of me. Wash all of me. Jesus, I'm a mess. Just wash me from head to toe. Give me a whole bath right here, right now. (laughs) Jesus says, Peter, 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 calm down. You've already been washed by me. All you need now is to get your feet washed like the rest of the disciples. So they go on and they continue to have their meal together and celebrate the Passover. And that's when Jesus lets them all in on the news that somebody there is going to betray him. The disciples are mumbling about it to one another. Who's it going to be? Is it you? Who on earth would do this? And Peter, the bold one, looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, never, I will never betray you. I will follow you all the way to death if that's where I have to go. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. Just imagine how heartbreaking that must have been for Peter. No way. There's no way that I could do that. But sure enough, as the evening went on, and as Jesus was arrested, and as he was tried, and as he was hauled away, Peter is out there walking around, and now he's afraid because the leader's gone. And he's not sure what's going to happen to him or what's going to happen to the movement that Jesus has begun. So people start coming up to Jesus, or coming up to Peter, excuse me, and asking him, if, if he had been with Jesus, aren't you one of those who was with the Galilean? And he said, no, no way, not me. He does it three times. Three times he denies even knowing Jesus until he hears the rooster crow and he's reminded of his failure. What disappointment Had to be in Peter's heart. He had failed. He had betrayed Jesus. Peter, the rock, had gone soft. He had lost what it was that Jesus meant for him to be. And now he's broken. And after Jesus is crucified and after he's resurrected, he's back in Galilee and what's Peter doing? He's back fishing again. Right back where Jesus found him. Feeling like a failure. He's back to just being Simon. He's lost his relationship. He's lost his future. He has felt such disappointment towards Jesus that he can't even handle it. He's like, guys, let's just go fishing. So they hop in the boat with him. And that's when Jesus shows up, right? He shows up. And a miracle happens. The fish are flowing. It's Jesus on the shore, and Peter jumps out of the boat and makes his way back to Jesus because he knows who Jesus is. And now we pick up with the rest of the story because after they share some breakfast together, Jesus has some words for Peter. Starting at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The same invitation that Jesus had given to Simon at the very beginning is the invitation he re-extends to him. And now he restores Peter you look at the heading in that passage of scripture, it also will say something like the restoration of Peter. Jesus restores Peter. But you know, there's more to the story than that. Because the reality is this, this is the beginning of Peter's life after Peter. It's the beginning of Peter realizing that he can't just do things his own way. That even though Jesus identified him and called him the rock and called it out of him and believed in him, Peter still wanted to do it his own way. He wanted to know and function the way that he knew, do the things that he knew, leave the way that he understood. But that'll never get you there, Folks. Because you can't do what God calls you to do without God's power to do it. And that comes when you empty yourself and you let Jesus fill you up. It's the fuel that we need. And sometimes we fuel our lives with the wrong things. Like Peter, we fuel our lives with pride, with pride about how smart we are, how many degrees we have, how skilled we are at our labor. Not that any of those things are bad, by the way. But if we take pride in them and expect that we're going to accomplish God's things through the things that we ourselves have done, we miss the whole point. We miss the point that this is not about what you know. It's about who you know. That's what Jesus wanted to teach Peter by restoring him in love. Jesus had made it clear to his disciples what his love would do. This is the kind of love you're supposed to have, the kind of love that lays your life down for the sheep, that lays your life down for those who are in need, that lays your life down. Peter, this is the kind of leadership I'm looking for. Peter, take care of my sheep. He restores Peter in his love. How many of you have disappointed somebody sometime in your life? You don't need to raise your hand. How many of you have felt disappointed by some place or some way that somebody else failed to meet up to your expectations? I think it's pretty universal that everybody at some point in time has dealt with disappointment, has dealt with failure, and has wondered if they were right back at square zero again, if everything that I've been doing up to this point has been a waste of time, Friends, let me tell you, it's not a waste of time. Because Jesus desires to restore us wherever we are at in our lives. He wants to restore relationship with him and he wants to restore an identity for us. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves and he will call out of you that which he sees in you to become. And you might not feel like you're there yet, all of us have a long way to go, but Jesus is calling you towards that, and he's calling you in love because that's what fuels mission. That's what fuels our lives is the love of God shown to us in Jesus. And Jesus restores Peter. Peter who had failed Jesus at a meal is now brought to another meal with Jesus on the shore where he restores him into his love. Friends, there's a meal that we're gonna set the table for today, and it's not our business, it's God's business. It's Jesus who sets this table, and there's a reason why he told his disciples to keep coming back to it again and again and again, to remember him in this meal. It's because we run on empty. We try to do it ourselves, and sometimes we just feel like we've got no gas left to keep going. The love of God is meant to restore us. It's meant to fill us. And the true body and blood and presence of Jesus is here right now. Just as he was restoring Peter, he is there to restore us. He is there to restore us in his love, restore us in our mission and our identity if we will only come before him and admit the fact that we need it. Many people will run away and hide when they feel like they've disappointed someone. Someone. Jesus calls us to do the exact opposite. He calls us to run to him. When we're empty, we run to him. When we've failed, we run to him. When we've sinned, we run to him. When we've been hurt, we run to him. We run to the one who wants to heal us, fill us, restore us in his love. That's what this table is for today. That's why we come to the table of our Lord and Savior That's why he gives us his body so that we can trust his presence is truly with us. And he sheds his blood so that we can know that his forgiveness is always offered to us. we receive it with open hands, saying, Jesus, I'm empty. I've got nothing on my own. Fill me with what I need. Restore me to what you have called me to be and to do. And let me do it in your love and through no other means. Let's come to his table today with that in our hearts and on our minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are present here with us right now, that you have called us to yourself and that you have called us through your son Jesus Christ and that he is really truly present here with us just as he was present with his disciples on the shore and he is calling out to his people here today, come and dine with me and let me show you my love poured out for you. That you would open up and receive it and take the next step in following me and the step after that and the step after that. Thank you, Jesus, for calling out to Peter as you call out to us. Call us back into relationship with you. Remind us of your love that sustains us and fills us and help us, Lord, to live in that love as we serve others around us. We pray all this today in Jesus' name, amen.